Who makes disciples? Who makes disciples? Acts chapter 4, 23 to 31. Now, we've, uh, we're in our Disciples Making Disciples series. And over the last weeks or so, we've been dealing with a number of questions. And the first question that we dealt with a little while ago is, uh, Marcus, is this screen working? There we go. There's our first question that we looked at a, a couple of weeks ago. Why make disciples? Why make disciples? And the answer that we came up with was based on the cosmic authority of the risen Christ, we go and make disciples, seeking to bring them, rescue them from the kingdom of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of light. That's why we make disciples. A second question that we dealt with is, what is a disciple? And you all remember what that is. What is a disciple? I'll give you a clue. We are all what? We are all learners. We are all learners of Jesus. We are all learner drivers. We are always learners of Jesus. And then a third question that we looked at last week is, how do we make disciples and the answer that we came up with looking at the Scriptures is that we, 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 how we make disciples is we patiently speak the gospel in prayerful dependence upon the Spirit. We patiently speak in prayerful dependence upon the Spirit. Now, after last week's uh, sermon, someone, a, a visitor, came up to me and very helpfully summarized my whole sermon in a couple of words. And they said, this is what you are saying, that when it comes to making disciples, we are to gossip the gospel. We are to gossip the gospel. And I found that very, very helpful. And I'm going to use that phrase a number of times as we go through our message this morning. And so we come to this question this morning of who makes disciples? Who makes disciples? And the answer is so obvious because the answer is? Okay, maybe not that obvious. The answer is? We do, right? We do. We'll, we'll come to that in a moment. I, I hope that is going to be blindingly obvious that we are the ones that make disciples. But with that clarity will come a great challenge. And when we talk about this question of who makes disciples, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where we could say the boots go on the ground. And here, I think, is the great challenge. When it comes to this who makes disciples, you remember James says we can be hearers of the word but not, not doers. I think in this question, more than any other, I think there is always that challenge that we are so much hearers of the Word, we know what the Word says, we hear what the Word says, that we are, we are the ones to go and make disciples, but we are not, we are not doers. And I, I want to suggest this morning that as we deal with some of this, I think there is some heart surgery, not hard, some heart surgery that's going to need to take place, and then we're going to get into some practical nitty-gritties with this as well. So, who makes disciples? We do. We could put it this way, couldn't we? And I'm sure you would be happy for me to put it this way. Disciples make disciples. Is that fair? Is that, is that, a, is that a succinct way of putting it? 
Disciples make disciples. We all as Christians, as disciples of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, as learners of Jesus, we are the ones that are to be faithfully gossiping the gospel to whoever we come into contact with, wherever we go, as the opportunity allows. Don't say anything, but I wonder if there's anybody here this morning who is a Christian, a learner driver, if there's anybody here that thinks that it's not their role to speak the gospel. I wonder if there's anybody here that thinks it's not my role to gossip the gospel. I think it would be safe to say that there are very few of you here that would say it's not my role. There might be the odd one. But I think it would also be safe to say that there are many of you here that know that you should speak the gospel, but there comes a personal reluctance. There comes, when it comes to the moment or the opportunity, there's some sort of embarrassment or fear or, 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 or a sense of lack of competency or inadequacy that suddenly seems to just kick in and you don't share the gospel. And I'm going to address some of that with you this morning. So within this question of who makes disciples, I'm going to answer these three questions. What does the Bible say about all Christians gossiping the gospel? What does gossiping the gospel look like in practice? And then I'm going to end with what are some of the barriers that we have to gossiping the gospel? So here goes. Question number one, who gossips the gospel? Now, just in case you may be one of those few Christians that think it's not your role to gossip the gospel, I'm going to open up some scriptures for you to show you that it is. And if you are a Christian that is convinced of that, you have that conviction, this will be affirmation and confirmation for you. If you've got your Bible or your device, open up with me to Acts chapter 4 and that passage that was read to us by Angela. I'm going to pick it up in verse 29. I'll set the context in just a moment. And, and the, the, the disciples are together and they're in a house and they're praying. And this is how they pray in verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then in verse 31, after they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. Now here's the context. If, if, if you remember the reading, uh, Peter and James have been arrested for speaking the gospel in the temple. They get arrested, they get released, and they go to the house, they go to where the, the disciples are all gathered, and they start praying. And I want you to notice two important things as we look in particular at verse 29. Notice that it's all the disciples that are together. They're all praying, and what are they praying for? What are they praying for? They're praying for boldness to speak the gospel. It's not just the apostles that are praying for the boldness. It's all the disciples that are there. They're all praying for this boldness to speak the gospel. And then secondly, if you flick your eye down to verse 31, notice what happens. Notice how God answers this prayer that after they've prayed for boldness, what happens? They are 
the apostles are filled with the Spirit, aren't they? No, they are. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit. All the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit and, and given the power to speak the Word of God boldly. You see, it's all the disciples that should be praying for this courage, this fearlessness to speak the gospel. And I want to say this to you. If there is one prayer that you want to pray that you know that God is going to answer, it is this one. Lord, give me boldness to speak the gospel. You ask for that. You truly pray for that. God will answer that prayer, and He will give you boldness to speak the gospel. But let's go across to Acts chapter 8. If you've got your, your Bible, just flick on a few pages. And the context here is that Stephen has just been killed. He's just been murdered for speaking the gospel to the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. And they kill him. And uh, Saul, who was previously Paul, so Saul is there. And he's standing there. And he's approved of the killing of Stephen. And this is what it says after Stephen is killed. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried, buried Stephen. They mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. He went from house to house. He dragged off both men and women, and he threw them into prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. A couple of things I want you to see. As you look at verse 1, notice that when the persecution comes, who gets scattered? You would have thought it was the apostles, right? It's not the apostles. Who gets scattered? Everybody except for the apostles. It is, the, it is all the learners, all the other learners of Jesus. They get scattered. They go up north. They go up to Judea and Samaria. And as you look down at verse 4, what are these learners of Jesus? What are these disciples? What are these persecuted Christians doing? What did they do? They shut up, right? They just said nothing. They went into hiding, right? No, they gossiped the gospel. They, they spoke the gospel wherever they went. And let me say this to you this morning, that persecution does not stop speaking the gospel. Persecution does not stop the gospel. You know, it's a wonderful thing for us to live in a country. We should pray for a country that's got freedom to preach the gospel, but that's not always the best thing. Sometimes the best thing for a country is for persecution to come because when persecution comes, the disciples open their mouth to speak the gospel. We're all to gossip, to speak the gospel, wherever we go, whatever the circumstances, to whomever we meet at every opportunity. Now, just so that you can see that this gossiping the gospel is not just to the outsider, it's to the insider. We're meant to do that with one another as well. Have a look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Paul writes to the church and he says this. He says, let the message of Christ dwell, in you, dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through the Psalms, through the hymns, through songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Let me just paraphrase that like this. 
when we're together, like we are on a Sunday morning, what we should be doing is we should be gossiping the Psalms to one another, gossiping the hymns, speaking the songs of the Spirit, which is the gospel, which is the Word of God, which is all about Jesus. When we're together, we are to be speaking the gospel through the various means of hymns and songs and psalms. That's what we do with one another. So here's the point. Every disciple is called to make disciples of others by patiently and prayerfully speaking the gospel within the body and outside the body of Christ. As Christians, we are all to be using edifying speech that others come to know Christ and they are built up in Him. Let me just ask you to think about it this way. At a most basic level, God has given us mouths with which to speak, hasn't He? We are personal beings, and with our mouths, we're able to express intentions and thoughts and promises. Words allow us to do things in a relationship that cannot be done otherwise. Would you agree? Words allow us to do things in relationship that cannot be done otherwise. And so, as you look at this a picture coming up on the, on the screen with our mouths, we're able to thank, to ask, to comfort, to confess, to forgive, to celebrate, to praise, to mourn, to inform, and to teach. Here's a great verse or a great line from the Vine Project when, when it says, quote, words reveal the heart and words are the currency of relationship. That's beautiful, isn't it? Words are the currency of of relationship. And sadly and unfortunately, we're Christians, we have the spirit living still in this body of death, so we continue to sin and we use our mouths in very sinful ways, which comes out of the heart. And so often, instead of using words to build up, we use words to blaspheme, to lie, to curse, to hate, to gossip, to swear, to manipulate, to deceive, to flatter, and to break down. Here's a little uh, summary from the Vine Project again. Quote, by the work of God's Spirit, we are set free to confess that Jesus is Lord, to praise His name, to give voice to our faith in prayer and thanksgiving, and to bring life and encouragement to others through what we might say to them. It's a great quote, isn't it? A guy called uh, Lionel Windsor, he put it this way. He said, God not only gives sinners the gift of salvation, but also puts a speech or song in their mouths and tells them to speak over and over again about how amazing His salvation really is. Remember a couple of weeks ago, was it last week or the week before, we were talking about church culture, weren't we? Remember culture? And, and culture is about the whole way we do things around here. A healthy church culture is one where a growing proportion of the congregation are speaking the gospel to those outside the church and inside the church. That is a healthy church culture. That is what we want here. A growing proportion of the believers having confidence, boldness to speak the gospel faithfully, prayerfully to those that are outside, those that are inside. Who gossips the gospel? You do. 
Let's go to that second question. What does gossiping the gospel look like? What does it look like in practice? And I think as we consider this question, just a couple of little things, I think it would be very helpful just to consider what it's not. What does speaking the gospel, what does gossiping the gospel, what does it not look like? And here's the first thing. Again, I'm just going to quote from Tony Payne. Here's what it doesn't look like. Gossiping the gospel does not look like an unregulated, chaotic outbreak of ignorant, false, or foolish teaching with every person and his dog setting up his own pulpit to spread his or her particular take on doctrine. That's what it doesn't look like. But gossiping the gospel, also it doesn't look like you carry your Bible with you wherever you go. It doesn't mean that you have to quote a verse in every single sentence that you're saying to someone. You don't have to use the word Jesus in every single sentence. It's not some sort of Jesus, weirdish, freakish thing that when people see you coming, they run to the other side of the road because they think that you're going to give them the Jesus vaccine. What does it look like? What does this speaking the gospel, what does this gossiping look like? Let me give you a couple of things. Here's what it looks like. It looks like sharing with non-Christians what Jesus has done for you and what he has done for them. That's what it means. It means, number two, it means speaking the gospel to non-Christians about how has the gospel changed your life? How does the gospel continue to change your life? It looks like sharing the hope of Jesus to non-Christians when they're despairing and they're hurting and they have no hope. It looks like Christians encouraging Christians to continue believing the gospel and helping Christians to apply, continually apply the death and the resurrection of Jesus to their lives. What does gossiping the gospel look like? It looks like Christians encouraging Christians to be godly, especially when temptation is high, especially when, when Christians are giving in to ungodly desires when they're leaving the path. It looks like Christians encouraging Christians with what God is doing in their lives. What, is, what does gossiping the gospel look like? It looks like sharing your life. It looks like sharing your life. What do I mean? Remember last week, a couple of weeks ago, I said to you, Jesus is not part of our lives, is he? He's not. He's not a subsect. He's not a section. He's not a portion. He's not a tack-on. He's not an add-on. What is Jesus to us? He, he is our life. He is. That's who He is. He is everything. Let me, let me put it to this way. Look at, look at Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Here's how Paul puts it. He says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave His life for me. Have a look at it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5.15. And, and, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Christ lives in us and we live in him. Christ is ours and we are his. When we speak about our lives, we speak about Jesus because of what? Because he is our life. If he is your life, you can't do anything but speak about Christ. You speak Jesus because He is your life. 
Now you say, well, what does that look like? What is, it, 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 all those things that I've just told you, what does that look like? Where does it happen? It, it, it looks like it, 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 it happens in the car with the kids when you're driving to school or picking them up or going on that long holiday to up north somewhere. What does it look like? It looks like it's over the dinner table when, or the breakfast table. It looks like speaking to someone after the service about something in the sermon, something that struck you, something that challenged you, something that spoke to you, something that encouraged you. What does it look like? It looks like speaking the gospel over the, over, over the fence to, to your neighbor at home. What does it look like? It looks like one-to-one reading the Bible with another Christian or a non-Christian over coffee. It looks like sharing an article, a great article, over Facebook. It's writing a letter of encouragement to that Christian. It's writing that letter to the non-Christian family friend calling them to faith in Christ. What does it look like? It, it looks like people knowing that you're praying for them. You let them know and you might share a verse or some sort of encouragement. What does it look like? It, it looks like sitting down sometimes either next to the Christian or the non-Christian and just sitting with a troubled soul. And just maybe here and there, and as the Spirit allows, as the opportunity is, you, you might share a verse, you might share some sort of encouragement or comfort from the Scriptures. Sometimes what does it look like? It just means sitting with people and just listening. It just means allowing people to pour out their hurt from the soul. What does it look like? It's a word here, it's a word there. It's, it's, it's there at the basketball thingy over across here as kids are throwing the ball in the basket. It's a word here, it's a word there. It's a word here, it's a word there as you're watching your kids play soccer, talking to other parents. What does it look like? It, it looks like asking people questions, seeing where they're at, and seeing whether the Lord is opening up a door to share the gospel. A few weeks ago, I was at the gym, and uh, I was in my favorite place. Do you know where that is? That's the sauna. Now, let me just say here up front, disclaimer, I know that you, I can see that face, Sarah. I know you think it's absolutely weird that you can sit in a sauna with a complete bunch of strangers. Anybody think it's weird? Yeah, a lot of you. There we go. There we go. I just want to say to you, it's not weird, and you can come with me, and we'll have the experience together. How's that? I'll see you afterwards. Well, anyway, <laughs> yeah, let's move on. Okay. So I'm in the sauna, okay? Let's get back to the sauna. I'm in the sauna, and uh, in the sauna, there was this, this, this lady called Bridget. And, and, and Bridget, I, you think I'm going to live in the sauna. But a few days before that, I was in the sauna again. And, 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 and uh, I've got to give you detail, right? And, and, and she was there, and she was there with a couple of friends, and they were talking a particular foreign language. I couldn't quite hear what it was. I didn't understand what the language was, and I didn't particularly have the gift of tongues interpretation. And so, anyway, that was then. A couple of days later, we're in the sauna again, and, and, and Bridget just happened to be there at the same time. And I said to her, hey, just, it was a bit of chit-chat. I said to her, hey, what was, that, what was that language that you were speaking to your friends a couple of days ago? And she said, oh, it was German, and I, I should have sort of picked it up being quite close to Afrikaans. And anyway, that led to chit-chat, and, and then I asked her what she did for work, and then she asked me, what do I do? Oh, she never knew what sort of door she was opening up here. This led me to ask her, does she go to church? She said, no. That led me to ask her, so what do you think about what happens after you die? You know, like, what happens if you had a heart attack here in the sauna and you're dead and what, that sort of stuff? And, and she looked at me and she went, you know, 
I just think we all evolved. Mm. I sort of screwed up my face, not deliberately, but just like, weird, like, really? You really think we evolved? And she saw this expression on my face, and she went, so what do you believe? I had about 10 minutes before I exploded from the heat in the sauna. I'd been in there for a little while already. I had about 10 minutes to share the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, who died and rose again for her sins, to give her eternal life, starting now and going into eternity. As I share that story with you, please, I want you to understand that we're not all wired the same way, to speak the gospel in the same way. We, we all gravitate to different forms and different ways and different means and all, this, all the rest of it. One of the reasons why Tom is up here this morning, Tom, Tom is a completely unique individual and character. He's got a set of gifting and wiring from the Lord. We can't all be Pauls. We can't all be Toms. We can't all go up to strangers wherever it might be and just start hitting up a conversation and sharing the gospel. I can do that. Tom can do that. But he's at another level. He's up there somewhere. I'm following him. But gossiping, the gospel, is about what? Sharing your life. Wherever you are, to whomever it is, wherever it's at, share your life because he is your life. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in. So it brings us to the third question. What are the barriers? What are the barriers to gossiping the gospel? I think, again, it would be safe to say this morning that many of you here, when you get to that moment of wanting to share the gospel, that opportunity arises, whatever it is, that there's suddenly that personal reluctance that just kicks in. There is that sense of inadequacy. There's that sense of incompetency. There's that sense of fear. It all sort of goes in and you don't say anything. And maybe because of those things, you haven't said anything to anybody for many years. In fact, there may be some of you here that have never shared Jesus with any non-Christian. I want to address two of the barriers, two of them. And I... I think it's going to be very challenging. At least the first one is going to be very, very challenging for a lot of you to hear. I hope that you would hear it not from me, but you'd hear it from the Spirit Himself. Let's deal with the first barrier, and that is motivation. Motivation. Here's a great quote from the Vine Project again. Although speaking the Word of God is a unique and spiritual activity, it is like other human speech in the sense that when something is really important to us, we can't help but speak about it to the people that we love. And Tony Payne goes on to say that the main reason why we don't speak the gospel to more people around us is because, quote, we don't value the word enough and we don't value and we don't love people. They're hard words to hear, aren't they? 
The reason why we don't share the gospel the way that we should is because we don't love people the way that we should. And that is a heart problem. It's not a personality problem. Here's the reason. See, the problem is our hearts are not fired up enough with the wonder of God's mercies and the wonders of God's grace and the glories of Christ. Our hearts are not sufficiently full of Him and therefore our hearts are not sufficiently full of compassion and love for others. I was very struck by uh, Gary Miller in his commentary on 2 Corinthians. He said, to live for Jesus is to treasure Him above all things. To live for Jesus is to treasure Him above all things. We don't speak about Jesus the way that we should because we don't treasure Him the way that we should. And you see, brothers and sisters, if it's a heart problem, we can't fix it. You can't turn around and say this morning, well, I don't love people enough. I'm just going to love people more and I'm just going to share the gospel more. You can't do that. That's like trying to start a car with a flat battery. I think you picked it up, Tom, in something you said when we were interviewing. It's so easy to lose your first love, isn't it? Your first love. Here's how Paul prays for the Ephesian church. He says, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Can I just paraphrase that for you? You know what Paul's praying? He's praying to the Father that the Father would fire up the hearts of God's people with the glories of Christ, with who he is, what he's done, he's asking, Father, won't you please ignite the hearts of your people with the light of the glory of the grace of Jesus Christ? Won't you fire that up? Won't you so fill them up with the wonders of the mercies of Christ, which would overflow and overspill to sharing the gospel? Let me show it to you in just one other little passage. And this is absolutely beautiful. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 but you are a chosen people, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, you are God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and brought you into His wonderful light. You see it there? We are to do what? Declare the, the praises of Him. Another slightly tweaked translation, declare the excellencies of Him. I've got to see the excellencies of Christ. And I've got to know who I am in Christ. I am a chosen person. I'm a, I'm a royal priest. I'm a holy nation. I'm a God's special possession. I, I, I need to see the excellencies of Christ and the excellencies of the gospel to me. And, and that is what will fill out, spill over from here. What does that mean in practice? It means that every time we get together, just like this on a Sunday morning, every time we get together in a, in a connect group, we have ever got to be praying that the Father shines the light of the glory of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ into our hearts. 
Every time we meet around God's Word, every time we open it up in a connect group, every time in our personal devotions, every time we listen to a sermon on the internet, every single time we read a good Christian book, Lord, open the eyes of my heart that I might see you, that I might see your excellencies in your Son and in His Gospel. And when we do, we will speak. What it means in practice is that this, this pulpit, this pulpit on a Sunday morning, it needs to be something of a flagship platform where we proclaim the mercies and the excellencies of Christ so that when you leave this place, it would be that wild horses could not stop you from speaking about Jesus. To this end, we have to teach and pray, teach and pray, teach and pray. To this end, we have to pray and teach, pray and teach, pray and teach. That's the motivation. Let me uh, go into the second one. Confidence, or I should say a lack of confidence, or a lack of competence, or a lack of or a sort of a sense of inadequacy when we come to speaking the gospel. Now, please let me just... Please hear me again, that when it comes to speaking the gospel, you do not need to be a preacher in a pulpit. You do not need to be a speaker to strangers in the street or in a sauna. You don't need to be some grandiose type of evangelist. You don't need to be a Tom who has got this thing that you speak to, 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 to a, to, to a non-Christian within 15 minutes. It, that, that, that is the, that is, those are unique wirings and giftings and stuff from, from, from the Lord. Just speak your life. Just speak your life to those whom God has put in your life. Now, when it comes to this issue of competence and confidence, have a look at this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4. Such confidence we have through Christ before God, and not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. I love what, uh, again, what, what Tom said. He, he, remember what he said? That when, you, when you're right there and you're speaking to a non-Christian or to somebody else, who's right there with you? Who's right there with you? Your Lord is right there next to you. Not just next to you, but, but, but in you. And you see our competency and our adequacy and our competence and all that stuff doesn't come from us. It is from Him who is in us, and He is with us wherever we go. But here's the thing. I don't know if you can identify with this, that, that you, you get to that moment, maybe where there's an opportunity to say something, uh, or you start thinking about this, and these are the sort of questions that go through your mind. What, 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 what if I say the wrong thing? Or... What if I don't say enough of the right thing? Or what happens if the person asks me a question and I don't know what to say? You just speak what you know. You answer what you know. If there's something you don't know, you say you don't know and I'll find out and I'll come back to you. Do you know what? The Holy Spirit is more than enough to cover all the gaps. Just speak. Just speak of His love for you. Speak what He's done for you. 
Tell him of the forgiveness that you've received. Tell him of the life that you've received. Tell him of the relationship that you've got. Tell him of the mercy and the grace and the kindness and the love and the favor. Just tell him. Tell him. Tell others about him and what he's done for you. Tell him about the hope that you have. Keep it simple and do it from the heart. Do you realize that no one was ever saved or no one was ever sanctified by eloquence and the right sounding words. No one was ever saved by using the right technique. Remember, we plant and we water, but God makes it. God makes it grow. I could give you a little catchy phrase just speak and let God reap. Speak from the heart about your life, about your first love. It's amazing if we love our dogs. We love our dogs? Any amens out there? Mm. How many people have you told about your dog? You speak about your first love. Jesus, just speak and let God reap. One last thing. Sometimes in this, in this whole area of speaking, we do need some help. We need some practical wisdom, some practical helps, maybe some practical tools about how to share the gospel. And, and, and we need to learn some of those tools. And I want to encourage you to, to do some of that. For example, out there, there are many good evangelistic tools. There's E3, there's the bridge, there's two ways to live, there's the Roman road. I can tell you in 29 years of sharing the gospel with people, I've used one of those tools or a blend of those tools every single time in some form or another. I learned them 29 years ago, and it has helped me to speak the gospel in very unusual circumstances. These are things that we have to teach you as pastors and teachers of this church. Let me give you an example. Here's a very simple tool that you can use. It's called the Romans Road. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You have sinned. You have sinned more times. You have broken God's laws more times than you can even begin to count. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The punishment for breaking God's laws is eternal death. It is eternal hell. Because God is a holy God, you deserve to die for your sin and go to hell. But the gift of God through Jesus, through His death and resurrection, is that He offers you the gift of eternal life. He offers you the forgiveness of sins. He offers you hope. Hope. So what do you have to do? In Romans 10 verse 9, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. What do you need to do? You need to turn to Jesus as Lord. Turn away from all the false gods, the false lords. Turn to Jesus. Turn to Him and follow Him and believe that His gospel, His death, His resurrection is enough to save you this morning. Turn and believe. Repent and believe and you will be saved. 
Do it now. Do it now. Believe in Him now. Turn to Him now. Believe in Him now. And you will be saved. Let me give you a summary. And we're going to close. You are to speak the gospel wherever you go. To whomever you meet. Which is sharing Jesus who is your life. Motivated by the love of Christ. Trusting the Spirit to save and grow His people. Two applications. Here's the first one. Can I have the music team, please? Here's the first application. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart that I might see you. Everything else flows out of this. Could I ask you this morning to stand with me? Would you make this, would you pray this prayer? Would you pray this song with me? Open the eyes of my heart. Open the eyes of our hearts. Lord, we want to see you. We want to see you high and lifted up. Seated in your glory and in your grace. Stand with me. Please make this a prayer of your heart. And then I'll give you the second application.
please uh, take a seat and let me give you the second application. Second application is prayer. I'm going to ask if the, uh, the team at the back will just leave that on for a few minutes. There are a number of prayers there that you can pray. And I want to ask you not... You can leave at any time. There's no, there's no have to do anything. But can I encourage you to take a couple of minutes now to look through those prayers to take a few moments to pray then to the Lord right now, here in this place. And when you've done that, you've commit this to the Lord. Tea and coffee will be served out there. And one last thing. They're, they're, they're just, there's no doubt someone here this morning. It's someone that doesn't know Jesus. And I ask you this morning to come to him to talk to him, to turn to him, to believe in him. Believe in his death and the resurrection for you and come to salvation now. Or maybe you need to pray that prayer to the Lord now. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I'll leave you to do some business with the Lord and we'll see you out there.